is up, internet? Half our soldiers are always dead. My name is Matthew Kroll. And if you don't shut up, you won't be invited to the orgy. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only <laughs> podcast about movies, specifically the film Thor, Love, and Thunder. And guess who we invited to the orgy? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Jesus fucking, you know what? I'm going to roll right over what Shahir just said. It is with great pleasure that I introduce to you a man we have long wanted on this show. He is an actor, writer, filmmaker who you've seen all over the finer parts of the interweb. Also, he is a film critic at some smaller indie publications you may have heard of, such as the New York Times, Vulture, and IndieWire, and whose video essays you can predominantly see over on IGN. Please welcome a filmmaker connoisseur who would be right at home in an omnipotent Cinematic City. Sedant Adlaka. What up, buddy? Sorry, I heard something about an orgy. Uh, <laughs> is that the plan for tonight? Pants are optional. Okay. It's a Zoom call. Pants are always optional <laughs> with consent. All uh, right, Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show, man. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, we are going to talk a Marvel movie. Uh, it's been a hot minute. Uh, not really, actually. Doctor Strange came out like a month and a half, two months ago. Um, this is one that I was uh, very much waiting for. I, Shahir, I feel like you might have been remotely excited for this. Um, was I remotely excited? Uh, it's been, uh, so I've been away for a month, uh, first off. So, and I've traveled to three different countries in the last, in the last month. And I did not watch any movies. I was completely devoid of the movie going experience other than, comfort films that I took with me on my uh, on my laptop just to keep me occupied when when I had a down uh, a moment uh, so I I have actually been very out of the loop entirely movie wise uh, new anything related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe news of any kind I have really been avoiding <laughs> for the last month so I'm, this is me re-entering the world and I apologize to listeners for for any rusty um, rusty parts um, so to speak <laughs> Oh, your parts are always full of rust. Uh, Sadat, <laughs> what, what about you? Were you were you uh, excited and different, uh, dreading? What was your sort of like uh, going into checking out this movie? So for me at this stage, for uh, most Marvel movies and most blockbusters, it's more about the experience of watching the movie with people mm -hmm. than it is about the actual movie. Um, unless, of course, you know, the movie looks good, like it's Top Gun Maverick or something. <laughs> sure. But, um, you know, in this case, it was all about, you know, the collective experience. Um but uh, in that case, you know, in this case, even the collective experience let me down a bit. <laughs> oh, no! Yeah. I, I, there was a tweet that you did about this movie, which I would love to refer to later, which I thought was uh, particularly on point. Oh, but so that I also wanted to just bring up the fact that you had written, you've written an extensive um, uh, analysis of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, called The Road to Endgame that was previously going up to the Endgame uh, series. Uh, in terms of that, like looking at the movie in its collective, which I believe Matt has done as well on this podcast. I'm the only person who has not done this. Um, what do you think the the purveying theory of the ongoing success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been at this point? Because it feels like it's shifted over time to where we are from, you know, from Iron Man through to Endgame now into the Thor Love and Thunder Phase 4, so to speak. Well, I think now it's about, you know, brand recognition and, you know, bringing familiar faces in, whether it's familiar characters or, you know, well-known actors in new roles, like something like Oscar Isaac and Moon Knight. Mm -hmm. um, but as for, you know, what the big picture of Marvel is going forward, um, I think it's it seems to be the vague notion that, oh, you know, someday we'll have another, you know, big crossover event or something like that. 
but I think at this point they don't really need to have any kind of plan because they can take it. They can afford to take it one at a time, and people will still show up in droves. Yeah. And I mean, with that in mind, uh, outside of the Marvel Cinematic, I mean, are the Marvel movies kind of what interests you or uh, as a film critic and a filmmaker? I'll say not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah. there was a fascination. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Like when, you know, leading up to the first Avengers movie and then eventually to Infinity War and Endgame, they were this, they still are a juggernaut, but it was, what they were doing was unprecedented from a production standpoint. Uh, but now they've become uh, a much more overwhelming force. And I've seen, you know, quite a dip in quality these last few years. Um, so I'm starting to think of them as like a net negative for cinema, even though I've probably enjoyed two of the last three Marvel movies quite a bit. <laughs> we've we've uh, had a, we've had an extended uh, uh, argumentative universe on this podcast since its inception mm-hmm. seven years ago or whatever it was, where I was obviously the the uh, in house Marvel shill, and <laughs> Shahir would always tell me how damning it would be for cinema, and and uh, the the times in Phase Four. I think have shifted me more towards Shahir's side than I am fully comfortable with. Um, <laughs> but Welcome. I always, I always, um, I always, um, you know, cling to hope that that there'll be another one that captures my my love, adoration, and interest. Like, to be perfectly honest, the entirety up till Endgame did. Um, I, I do think, to, uh, to your point, Sadat, that there's there was something. There's something to a cohesive whole. There's something to something being finished. And like, it really felt like a really good ending. And now it's all epilogue for me like, <laughs> at this point, which is a weird thing, even though, because the whole, the whole, you know, business model is there isn't an ending, but they gave <laughs> us one, right? So like, now they're pretending, not really, but like, it feels like they're kind of pretending it didn't exist. And you combine that with a obvious dip in quality here and there. And even though they're a lot of fun, it's not holding the same like emotional weight in my like, I don't know, my my viewership soul that it once did. Um, not like I'm gonna I'm gonna transition us seamlessly here. Not uh, like, however, a film that, uh, to be perfectly honest, Adon, you and a friend of the show, Patrick H. Willems, introduced me to mm. uh, a film that we all saw in a screening that you introduced of RRR, which we have an email about. Yes, we do. Uh, and again, thank you to Sedan and Patrick for, for bringing this film to our attention. Uh, and this was an email from Steve who wrote in, I caught up with Patrick Williams' video essay on RRR a while ago, and I finally had three hours to sit aside to watch it over the weekend. I am not lying when I say that my life hasn't been complete <laughs> until seeing this epic masterpiece. <laughs> it's not a great film. But it's amazing in its epicness. I regret not seeing it at a crowded theater like we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved your comments about maximalism versus minimalism in the cinema and it's certainly extreme maximalism. I loved it. It reminded me a lot of movies I loved watching growing up. I also love that for all the violence in this movie, which there is a lot, uh, the theme of friendship and love is so strong that I couldn't help but root for these two guys the entire time. I would also like to note that while it's violent, I never felt it was going for realism in its violence, which you could argue is irresponsible in today's climate. But it helped to escape into the fantasy world which they had created. There is so much realism in cinema lately that I think we need more of this over-the-top, fantastical, fun type of storytelling. Top Gun Maverick was another example of simple storytelling done right. Uh, It wasn't trying to reinvent anything, and the music cues dropped exactly where you wanted them to. But it worked and made me smile. 
everything, everywhere, all at once is another example where it's in your face and over the top and silly, but with so much heart. There's something missing from films today is heart and sincerity. Thoughts, Steve. Uh, so again, uh, doing the good work for us, uh, Sadanza, by introducing everybody to RRR and kind of bringing me back to that other question that I asked you, which was, um, as a filmmaker and even as a film critic, I mean, I know it's always hard to kind of pinpoint one singular film, perhaps Mm -hmm. a range of films or even a filmmaker that really, uh, affected you personally that, that made you want to get into this. Is there, is there anyone like that that we could pinpoint to you if we were trying to do sort of do a citizen cane on you and figure out what the meaning of Sedan was? (laughs) Um, I think there might be a somewhat definitive answer. Um, Andrew Dominic's The Assassination of Jesse James. We've done this on the, we've done it on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, because I actually happened to watch it uh, on 35mm just a mm. few days ago. This was Roger my first yeah. time watching it on film. And yeah. um, second time in the theater, but first time on film. And when I first saw it, I was about 15 or 16 years old. I was watching it on DVD. And it sort of awakened me to the limits or the lack thereof of mm. the moving picture and of sound. Mm. And that's something that I think you know a lot more filmmakers could... Uh, especially at a blockbuster level, could afford to, you know, push and experiment with. Because, you know, why make something that is familiar? Why make something that exists within a box when you can reshape that box in any shape you like? Mm. And and that film in particular, um, while doing that, is also deeply compelling and heartfelt. Like that, those final moments of um, Casey Affleck uh, in the saloon are Devast- uh, like emotionally wrought and devastating. Um, like I said, we reviewed it on the podcast recently with uh, Blake uh, from One Heat Minute mm-hmm. um, discussing that uh, discussing that film. And I, I think, uh, Matt, it was a first time viewing for you, yes. but, uh, sort of a repeated viewing for me, uh, for, for myself. And I can't recall where it was for Blake, but one just a, a staggering uh, piece of cinema. Um, and so oh, I'm, 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 I'm so glad that you mentioned that film. Uh, people can go back and listen to that episode. I don't know what number it was, but we have done it on this podcast, haven't we? And I've probably, talked yeah, about it's, it it's number well. 300 somewhere. Yeah. Um, also, if you'd like to write us in like Steve did, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at onlymoviepod on Twitter. I never remember to do that. I don't think I did it the entire time you were gone, Shahir. I'm doing great. <laughs> um, so not to your point, I think I have an answer, uh, to why do something uh in the same little box when you could experiment and and try something new and that answer sadly my friend is capitalism uh thor uh. love and thunder uh, <laughs> i'm sorry to bring the mood down of this hopeful thing but more i like, think more like capitalism oh, no <laughs> the the um th- this was a um oh boy uh I was left cold uh, v- fairly 50% from Doctor Strange. Uh, I don't know where, uh, Shir, I know where you landed. So, Don, where did you sort of land on on that one? I had a surprising amount of fun with it. Yeah? I think it's, uh, I think it does a lot of very, you know, Marvel things from a narrative standpoint. But there were also bits where I felt like, you know, Sam Raimi was kind of allowed to run wild and, you know, just have a good time. And, you know, I didn't go in expecting too much more than that. And, you know, I got what I came for. Right. I, I actually, it's funny, I think, and I like different pieces of both movies, of Doctor Strange and of Love and Thunder. 
I think my my umbrage with the pieces that I don't like actually come from two different slices of the same pie. I feel mm-hmm. like Sam Raimi, they let him do a few things, which then when put in the full Marvel machine felt a little bit dissonant to me because the rest of the movie didn't feel entirely light. Like, music scene was super fun. A couple other gags were super fun. But then when you put them next to other things, I felt it was, it, it like, it kind of jostled me. So it's like, here, auteur director, you can do whatever you can do like two or three things have fun with it for for this movie i feel like they just told taika he could do whatever the hell he wanted and it even though i feel like there was far less restraint and this is all conjecture at my point uh i feel like it kind of suffered from the same problem for me uh in an odd way uh matt could you tell us what thor love and thunder is about Oh, well, I can't, Shahir. But what I can do is tell you what the Internet Movie Database describes <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder as. <clears throat> Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and his ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher, who intends to make the gods extinct. Cool, 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 cool. That is, cool, cool, cool. That is a description of the movie we will be discussing. Uh, oh, sorry, Shahir. <laughs> No, no, I was just saying, cool, 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 cool. No, <laughs> tight, 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 six, tight, six, tight, six. tight, tight, tight. <laughs> um, oh, I have an interesting story, gentlemen. So uh, I'll get into some of the things I liked and disliked. One of the things I felt like everything sort of felt a little bit off kilter, even though I was enjoying myself. Things sort of felt either off base in an editing standpoint or something else. But I don't think it's actually the movie's fault. I went to a theater. And, you know, when you go to, like, the Dolby Cinema stuff, when it's, like, in the movies, this used to be black, and it shows, like, a washed-out black, and it cuts to the thing, and it's, like, cinema black, or whatever the, the, the terminology is now, like, it's trying to show how good the projector is, and then it shows <laughs> how good the sound is, like, with that wave that, like, comes from one side of the theater to the other. So that played beforehand at an AMC theater. The wave didn't do the sound of, like, bass and movement that it usually did, and I was like, huh, that's weird. And then it just felt like for this entire movie that the bass... Like, whatever the sub or the, the the system that controlled the bass was, like, off or, like, super low muted. And so I felt like a lot of the times, like, maybe some of the music cues didn't hit exactly where they should have because I wasn't getting the full range. I found out through detective work slash uh, an accidental meeting I had where we talked about this through a, a industry friend that due to a screening that happened at the same cinema earlier that day... And a rebalancing of a certain theater's uh, audio profile that most likely that was entirely the case. They probably didn't reset the theater when it was done. And I probably did see a subpar version. Like we timed it out. We like played with the times. It was like, oh, yeah, that was there. Oh, yeah, it was that time. Yeah, that's probably what happened. (laughs) So, so. Uh, I don't know. I found that super interesting where I was like, huh, this sounds like it's really bad. And then I had someone literally tell me, oh, yeah, that's true because of this. And I was like, huh. Uh, uh, how were both of your experiences uh, actually going to see this in a movie theater? Sadat, how, how was yours? Well, so I got tickets to an opening night screening at uh, the AMC IMAX at uh, Lincoln Square here mm-hmm. in New York, mm-hmm. and which is my my go-to for movies like this because it's always – you know the most hype crowd, the most energetic yep. responses. It makes it makes any movie more fun. I've seen Divergent movies on opening night there. Um, I'm not a fan of those movies. I just watch them for for the audience experience. Um, somehow this was the one exception I've had in the you know 13 years that I've been going to this theater. 
it was a completely muted, almost unresponsive crowd. Huh. Mm. And again, it was sold out. It was full of Marvel fans who all, also, by the way, applauded when Nicole Kidman showed up for the AMC intro. Mm-hmm. So Perfect. it's not like it's not like this was like a you know unusually quiet audience. It was just that it elicited almost no response from anyone, myself included. Yeah. I, I, I have to admit, uh, I saw this when I just got off a plane after flying some uh, nearly 24 hours of uh, flight time. Um, and I was uh, and I had slipped, but I, um, I I think for the last month I didn't have jet lag uh, across these different countries. And for some reason on the days that I landed for a week, uh, the jet lag hit me hard at like different times of the day. Um, and so I I prepared myself to kind of sleep uh, before the movie to kind of be rested. Um, and it was like the first time in two years that me and my wife were able to have a date to go see the movies, which we haven't been able to do uh, since the pandemic began. Uh, so we were ready for it. And we also like, we did this thing, which was that we made it easy on ourselves. We were like, we're not going to go to the IMAX Lincoln Square. We're not going to go to Alamo Drive. We're not going to make a trip of it. We're going to walk to the local theater that's right by us and we're going to relax. We're going to get a couple of drinks on the way. We're just going to make it an easy night because I was like, I really enjoyed Thor Ragnarok for what it was. I had such a good time in that movie. That I just wanted an easy, you know, I just wanted to walk into this easy breezy. And I will, I, this is going to, I'm going to burn all my credibility at the beginning of this, of this discussion, but I did doze off during the movie and I'm not sure if it was jet lag or boredom, but I did doze off during parts of this movie. And I was trying to go back to see it again. Uh, I spent a lot of times reviewing just to see what I'd missed, but, but oddly what I found is uh, after going through detailed synopsis, I was like, I didn't miss anything uh, of what so I, not, so not, you know what this means, right? We can just make up plot points and, and he won't and I, know. I will, I will be none the wiser. Please keep that in mind. We might have to do some very serious yes ending across this. Um, I am fully aware that that will negate my opinion in many ways. And I'm fully aware to be, to be corrected on this. However, I feel like we're actually in step in terms of our opinions on this movie. Yeah. Listen, um, Shahid, I was awake the whole time, but there were points where I kind of stopped looking at the screen. Right. So you're not really alone here. Well, can I can I tell you a couple of things about my experience so that I can I can hand it off to you guys in terms of what I thought about the movie? Yeah. Which was which was that um I think Taika's particular brand of comedy, and everyone, you know, like who listens to the podcast knows I'm from New Zealand and you know, uh am, am a champion of Taika's work, and I think he's a national treasure. Um, however, I think there is there is certainly a quality to this particular movie, which and I'm also kind of seeing in the Twitter sphere and in the film sphere as well, a kind of weariness of the Taika brand of comedy or particular his particular style of writing. And and while I'm not in agreement with the way it's happening on, you know, the, the film Twitter spheres, people, you know, picking on um, his responses to certain things. And I think I think there's a quality, there's a sort of uh, a beautifully uh, naive quality to his uh, self-ego that he presents in, in, in conversations and interviews and that sort of thing that is meant to be tongue-in-cheek, but people are now reading it as literal. Um, but but in terms of the actual comedy at play here, I did feel a weariness of the fact that it seemed to be 
overly familiar in terms of what we understand of his kind of humor. And for me, the problem was, was that almost every character, perhaps with, with an exception of Gore, the God butcher was written in that voice when that voice didn't need to apply to certain characters. Um, I'm really thinking about Jane Foster here, who was written in a almost, almost in the exact same way that Thor has been rewritten into. And in a way, it makes no sense. Um, whereas the, the sort of reconfiguration of Thor into this sort of himbo, you know, buff, you know, buffoon uh, was a welcome change. Rewriting Jane into that seemed very, very strange to me and, and didn't really work. And almost every character around him did that. I will say, I think um, while it didn't, um, while it eventually landed in a place that I sort of was like, I thought was actually interesting. Um, the Gore the God Butcher story kind of worked for me in sort of a fundamental level. Didn't quite execute that well, but I thought there, at least tonally that was sort of an interesting play for that character. Um, and so I was sort of a very mixed on it, which was that I did, you know, I think like you guys found myself feeling very familiar and a little bit unenthused by what I was seeing, but there were moments that kind of was like, I could kind of see where this is going. And I kind of like maybe, a I maybe like like 30 to 40% of what this is uh, as an idea unto itself. But, but, you know, like I wasn't quite with it. I do want to see it again and, and just really check myself in terms of, in terms of that experience and whether, you know, like not being completely jet lagged would change it. But I don't know. That's kind of where I landed on it. How about, I mean, I feel like you two are on the same page. Well, your, your listeners can't see me, but I was furiously headbanging in agreement to your point about um, about Jane being written exactly like Thor. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's there's, a, there's an element to this... First of all, I want to say I've liked all the Thor movies, and that includes The Dark World. I think The Dark World is the best Masters of the Universe sequel we ever got to this point, and I am here for it. Like, it felt like He-Man... I don't get why Malekith gets so much shit. Like, they didn't give him much to do, but it wasn't, like, insulting. Um, and now, he... So I was like... I Honestly, I think, out of all of the mainstay characters, I, well, so far anyway, Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, I feel like the Thor franchise for me has been the most steady, even through the tonal shift of Ragnarok, which I also loved. There was a real sense, like, there was tons of, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, visual effects uh, and special effects mastery sort of shown through this. There was uh, a level of, uh, you know, polish that comes from this sort of churn of Marvel movies. Again, it's gone slightly down, but I think they've also gotten way more basically like CG vomit thrown up on the screen all the dang time. Um, and the plot itself, I thought was really good. I even liked watching all of the, like the sort of similarly characters uh, interact with one another because it was funny. But I think like this was for me, my, the thing that kept me out of the like uh, gates of Valhalla of enjoying this film <laughs> to its entirety is it feels like death by a thousand paper cuts. Like mm. there was a real sense of like, look at this spectacle. Holy shit. The goats are funny. Uh, oh, my God. What happened with Zeus? And we'll get into all that shit in a second. But, like, it all had a weird vibe of, like, yeah, yeah, yeah but we're going to just move on the plot because, like, there's a joke over here. Like, oh, no, no, no oh, we got that? Okay, keep going. Like, it felt very, like, I don't know how to put it. I was trying to search for the word. The only, like, phrase I could come up with was les enfer. It felt very, like, sure, like, this is happening, whatever. Like, it's huge and spectacle and wow, holy shit. But instead of, like acting like it it was just like oh, then we're gonna go over here 
And it's can like, I, can I can I give you my my most damning thing about this movie oh, that no. I walk away from, which is that Endgame and Infinity War are better Thor movies than this, right? Like they yeah. are far superior Thor stories than this one is. Like this, like those those movies actually deal with Thor in the same way with with, with the same level of comedy as Ragnarok, and and yet tell an interesting story of his journey, and and are actually quite compelling. Like he's a key figure in all of those in both of those movies, and they are actually better Thor movies than this one is. And that and that was the, like my biggest takeaway from walking away from this, which is that the movie really doesn't do justice to the exp- oh, to to necessitate a Thor movie in this case, right? It, like it doesn't as a whole, I think. So short answer, I agree. Hmm. Like a little bit more nuanced for me, like there were it what made me even more mad was like I saw glimpses of that better Thor movie. Like hmm. And I, I have heard the rumor that there's like a four-hour cut that's both batshit bad and covers all the shit that I probably would want to see, but just not in four hours. Um, the 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 flashback sequence of J- him and Jane's relationship, I thought was like weirdly interesting and like filled in the gaps of me caring in a way. Like I, I, I can't speak for either of you, gentlemen. I've been in that relationship before. I've been in that, like, everything is kind of fine, but, like, we're growing apart because, like, you know, one person's doing another thing or whatever, and then, like, one day it collapsed. Like, that hit home for me. And so, like, I was like, this is a very accurate depiction. It's just the stakes are very different, right? (laughs) Like, so, like, like, those were the moments that, like, actually felt true and important to me. Um, But overall, like, the journey for Thor up to the very, very end... um, was pretty much what I was expecting. There was no real shake up. There was no sort of nothing. It just kind of went where I thought it would go. Um, Is that it? We're done on the show. Yeah, we finished. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, okay, we've been we've been poo pooing a little bit. <laughs> Before we get into full blown spoilers, or this could actually be the point. To be perfectly honest, I think if people are watching or listening to this this far, they've they've seen the movie. Um, what were some things? that you liked about it, if at all. I will open the floor. Sadat, if you'd like to go first, or if you, if, if everyone's having trouble thinking of it, I can go first. Sure. I, I like the montage that you mentioned. There was mm-hmm. a sense of weight to it and a sense of like, okay, these are, you know, it, it's funny and it's meaningful and there's something resembling real characters here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I liked a few of the jokes here and there. I was absolutely delighted when Mjolnir first breaks apart and Jane is still in control of it. And um, I mean, that doesn't really happen again. Or if it does, I didn't really notice it. Um, but there were maybe a small handful of things I enjoyed. Um, but mostly the movie just left me really annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I did feel that Christian Bale understood the assignment. He just may have not been served by the movie uh, that he was working in. But I, I re- like I was... I found him compelling, interesting. I thought starting the movie with the death of his daughter um, was was you know like hey we're really starting this on uh, on a certain note and you know please follow us as we go along this journey. And then you know the, the film does pay off that journey by the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like I guess it's just the it's the uh, uh, nearly two uh, two some hours in between that where I I think I'm like you Sadat, which is that moments of it like worked for me and there were certainly um, echoes of moments, but but this also kind of reminds me of um, uh, the comment that or the, the feeling I had about um, 
uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is that it's really great when you get to see uh, a director kind of flexing their muscle within an, an alternate universe. And I really felt that that was this amazing quality that Taika brought to Ragnarok, uh, which was that, you know, like he was able to kind of really wield that giant machine into something that was like his own. Um, but here, like Sam Raimi and Doctor Strange in, in the Multiverse of Madness, there was a little, there's a sense of it of, of playing the hits, uh, of like, of, you know, like, almost being a cover band of yourself um which 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 i you know just it made me feel a little um uh, yeah uninspired by it. and I, and look this is a, such a strange quality because taika is relatively new in terms of his voice being appearing on a on the on the large scale that it does um but i think we have now seen i think through four movies this same type of comedy and look wes anderson plays himself over and over and over and over again. Um, and, you know, we we just discussed The French Dispatch where I was completely moved by that movie, but I know the main criticism of that movie is that it's all too familiar Wes Anderson in the Wes Anderson style. Um, and to, to sort of hold that uh, standard up to someone like Taika who is relatively new um, and just find, you know, like having just found a sort of really unique proposition in his voice. But there is something about perhaps that familiar quality with also the waning sense of stakes with a Marvel movie at this point and you know the sense that the phase four hasn't really shaped in any in sort of in any meaningful way up until this point um, that makes this sort of like a, a sort of hit in two directions where at the same you know like I mean, I've been feeling this way about a lot of these movies, but, you know, like we're sort of feeling like, I don't know why, what is the compelling reason for me to keep going to these movies? And I'm not one of those people that needs to turn up every night. And 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 to be honest with you, I, I, I often feel like if, for example, the TV shows I have not kept up with and I have no sense of FOMO or need or anything like that to, to, to continue to keep up. I feel like with these movies, I'm kind of doing it because they're the talking points and they, they occupy so much cultural space. Um, but I'm starting to go, does it really warrant that? I mean, I, I, and Matt, you know, I've, I felt that way for a long time about these movies, but, but now even more so where we're not leading to an end game or anything. Uh, I'm starting to go, Oh, do we like, what would happen if we missed one of these? Shahir, the assignment was to say something you liked about the movie. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You're the God Butcher. All, all day. You're the God Butcher. Loved no, his hood. Loved his color. But, loved, but, loved, the, loved the, uh, the, the design of taking away the color of the world. Great. Listen, <laughs> but that is the microcosm, right? That experience of, oh, I liked this thing. And then you went down the rabbit hole, but then you're like, ah, oh, fuck. God damn it. Fucking Jesus. <laughs> like, that's real. Like, again, Gore was probably my uh, favorite as well. I loved that treatment. I thought Christian Bale just chewed scenery in the most wonderful way. Um, the going And actually, to be perfectly honest, when he took the kids, hmm. that was the only moment, I think, in the movie where I was like, oh, is this getting dark? Like, it, it turned into almost like a grim fairy tale at that point. Like, he puts him in a walking cage, and I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, Baba Yaga. Like, let's, like, this is like a, like, it got weirdly fable for me, and I was like, okay. Because before that, we, he kills we, one we god. We identified with him. We were like, we understood him, because his god that he kills is so comically awful. It, and again, written oh, in the Taika voice. But yeah. that's the, so this is interesting. The beginning, I love the amount of time they give Gore in the beginning of the mm. getting to the daughter and, you know, moving forward and getting to that point where he kills that laughably horrible god. Mm. You're on his side, right? Mm. 
And it's the, it's literally someone looking at the type of humor that the entirety of this movie is and being like, are you serious? Why are you? No, that's not what, what no, stop, stop, but oh, fuck it. And like, just like ending it, right? Like, and to, that sort of was like microcosm looking back at the entire film. I was like, there's one character here who is not in a different movie. I mean, heck, he puts on a, a puppet a puppet show with like a shadow snake and rips its head off. And like, mm. he, and you can tell Christian Bale's having fun. Like he's like gleeful. That's one thing I will say about this movie. I'll say another nice thing. Everyone looked like they were having a lot of fun. Even even uh, Jane Foster, Natalie Portman in her new Thor voice, which is annoying, mm -hmm. um, seemed like this was the first time I actually felt like she wanted to be there <laughs> in all of her movies uh, in this place. And that was really nice. Um, the, the point of stakes. Two different characters get shot through the chest or stabbed through the chest. or <laughs> Three. No, I'm sorry. Three. Via... Mm -hmm. The most powerful weapon in the universe, Zeus's lightning bolt. And they all live. Mm. I don't need characters to die in these movies, but we have completely, like, the multiverse phase four stuff has basically made it so nothing truly matters because you can just pull someone from another universe. And now, when these things that are said to be so powerful and dangerous just aren't, mm. I'm like, I, I have a real sense of, like, why do we, why are we here? Like, yeah. if no one, if there's no stakes, then what's the point? Uh, sorry, the assignment was say something. <laughs> yeah, you did the same thing. What was you the whole assignment? <laughs> Am I the only person who, who followed the assignment? Uh, <laughs> even, though, even though I think, I genuinely think this is the worst Marvel movie. Wow. Really? The, is it the yeah, worst I do, Marvel yeah. movie? Even the part when Loki showed up? Yeah, no, see, that part I enjoyed. That part I enjoyed. Okay. Uh, like, he's got, I mean, his dialogue was a little like, okay, clearly Taika's written this, but. Yeah, it felt the same. Uh, but it was a nice moment where Thor gets to, like, you know, say goodbye. And of course. I, I didn't really like the, like, the the joke he made about, like, Loki's dick or whatever. They're not going to say <laughs> the word dick because it's yeah, a Yeah, because it's movie. that snake story. They, like, come back from the joke about the handshake and the snake, which is oh, from Ragnarok. 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 Yeah, yeah, but then, yeah, so, yeah, the, the snake dick joke was a little bit whatever, but. It's juvenile, but yeah. I mean, like, it's hardly the worst thing in the movie. Sheer, what did you think of the snake dick thing? I feel like that's right up your alley. Was I asleep during that moment? I may have been. I'm not that's exactly a shame. Sure. That's a shame. I feel like that's the one moment you would have really resonated with. <laughs> next uh, time. Be on the lookout. Time. Be on yeah, the lookout. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so wait, this is your least favorite. Yeah, I found myself thinking that as the movie went on, and then I conferred with a couple of people I saw it with, and they were like, no, yeah, it's it's the worst one. And um, it's not even people like I'm normally on the same page with about Marvel movies. Yeah. It was my roommate who's only like semi into these, but it's the worst one that she's seen. Um, then my brother who loves the Eternals movie, which until, day, until I saw this one, I thought was the worst one. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we both agreed that Thor Love and Thunder is by far the worst one. And we were both just like very, very annoyed by the end. I didn't stay for the second post credit scene. That's how like I, I was barely in, like I was on my way out during the first. I was like, I can't take this anymore. You, you I, saw I, it though, right? Like you, or not, you yeah. saw it, you, you know what it is. I, I know what the second one is. I was sort of caught the first one on my way out. So my buddy, uh, I went to go see this with a few friends. And I want to give my buddy Colin credit for this. When the this scene, I, I don't share. I don't know if you stayed. I either. did. I was. Okay. I was definitely awake. For this. Okay. So Natalie Portman <laughs> ends up in Valhalla, and um, um, what's Idris Elba's character? Heimdall uh, is uh, 
there and he greets her and they're like, welcome to Valhalla, da 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 come on. Mm. Colin made a very good point. The entire movie is all jokes, right? The best thing that Taika could have done in that scene is have Sif's arm wave when she got there. Because the joke of Sif losing her arm, like, maybe your arm's in Valhalla. Like, mm. it would have been like a really fun, dumb payoff. <laughs> and given that scene even remotely a point other than reminding us that there's absolutely no stakes at all ever in this entire fucking universe. Like, I felt, I felt kind of gut punched in that moment. I was just like, yeah, fuck, God. Like, <laughs> like See, the problem with this one compared to something like Ragnarok is the jokes are never set up punchline. The jokes are just person says dumb just, thing, yeah, person yeah. says dumb thing, which is why whether it's in the moment or spread across the movie, which is why when you have, you know, Jane Foster saying that, like, uh, she gives this like rainbow catchphrase, that's not something that comes back, even though the question of her catchphrase lingers. And even though they sort of bring color into like a black and white realms, like that's kind of the perfect place to pay, excuse me, to perfect pay that place off. to pay that off. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I guess that's what happens when you're not really working from a script. That's, okay. Can we, we all well, agree, right, that this, this was just a bunch of scenes loosely tied together. Like, this didn't feel like a cohesive story to me. I think that's the lays on fair vibe I was kind of getting at, right? Like, yeah. it, is this the, is this the most that we know of loosey-goosey freeform Marvel film that there's been? Hmm. I don't know. About I'd say that. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know on the spectrum where it sits because I've definitely uh, there, there's been other Marvel movies which I'm being less enthralled by. But uh, but yeah, possibly. Look, there is this quality. You know, Taika and and the the reason why people want to work with him is that he is known for uh, not just improvising, but uh, in fact, improvising is probably not the right word for what he does. But I think allowing the actors to kind of find the joy in the moments that he is you know presenting on screen and deviating from the script but i actually don't know if it's a script issue as much as it's a um a, a sort of you know like like we're all kind of pointing to a kind of growing pains issue and sedan you know that road to end game series that you wrote um even the actual trajectory of where that you know how we were understanding that the whole thing was paying off towards uh, a singular storyline really was able to overwhelm some of the individual flaws of each of the each of the individual films. The sense now that that we don't even have that makes this sort of a, a really just meandering exercise and one that um, you know I, I look the other thing the other side of this is the movie made it's all its money back. you know it made a lot of money. People turned up to see this. but I I wonder if there's a sense that like, yeah, we know that people are gonna turn up to see this so do we really need to flex as much as we used to? You know, like when Taika did Thor Ragnarok, there was a sense that I've got something to prove here. I've really got to make this work. I've got to, uh, you know, I've got to reinvent this and make it mine. Now, I don't know if that pressure, that urgency is there. Well, it's already his. It's already his. And, and but and and just again, for me, the damning thing was that, that uh, Endgame and Infinity War were better Thor movies, were better Thor stories as yeah. well. And also my question is, you know, and I don't think this is one that has an answer for us on the outside of the process. How much of this falls on Taika? How much of this falls on the, the Marvel process. production machine? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
um, because, you know, there were things that, you know, can boil down to, you know, Taika's voice and feeling familiar and repetitive. And there were things to me that felt like, oh, you know, this is, you know, Marvel's pre-visualized, you know, action scenes that are completely divorced from scale and character and story. And, you know, I think yeah, a lot of the persisting problems just coming to the fore. But like you said, Shahir, um, there, there isn't this sense of overall, like, you know, a story leading somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, having followed most of the Marvel things till date, like, I can I can sort of gauge, like, okay, this is the direction they're headed in yeah. long term when they decide to do a next big crossover. But my, my view on the Marvel stuff has changed in that I don't care about the crossover stuff and the shared universe stuff mm. as much anymore. My, my thing now is... Let me go into each project as its own thing. And if mm. I can enjoy it as its own thing, as its own show, as its own movie, then great. You know, if 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 not, then I don't think any amount of, you know, shared universe connections are going to, you know, make me like it more. I also think to that end, the the humor that Taika wrote into uh, Thor Ragnarok really became the vernacular of the characters in every movie from that point forward. You know, like Doctor Strange jokes in that way. Um, uh, you know, uh, Captain America jokes in that way. Every character has kind of embodied that voice. So it's not even just Taika uh, or not even Thor to Thor, um, Thor Ragnarok to Thor Love and Thunder. I think all, the, the repetitiveness is coming across all of these films where all of these characters speak this way or have this sort of similar sense of like humor or quippiness to them, which, you know, um, sometimes works. And, and I think it's just, yeah, uh, I, I brought up uh, an article by A.A. Dowd uh, in this week's um, Guardian uh, when he talks about, because I feel like I'm the person um, who, again, has, has uttered this phrase many a time, which is Marvel fatigue. Uh, but he sort of raises it in this, in this question of mar Marvel exhaustion at this point. And he, he raises it in, in this way. He says, there's a certain sweaty desperation to the films of what Marvel calls in corporate bedroom, uh, boardroom parlance, phase four of its continuing crossover events. These are tentpole entertainments that strain for laughs and excitement. They offer disappointing send-offs for old characters like Scarlett Johansson's super cipher Black Widow and Elizabeth Olsen's former twisted Scarlet Witch, while botch botching the introduction of new ones. They transparently pandered to the fan base, screeching to a halt and pausing for applause during literal cameo parades, and they reinforced the limitations put on their directors whose much-vaunted location shooting or stray flashes of zombie slapstick can't dis disguise the rigidity of the overarching modus operandi. And I think the question here is, what we're struggling to figure out is what is that modus operandi at this point? Like, what is that? What is the what is the modus operandi building towards? What is the purpose for us to see these movies anymore? Um, I think you know, I, oh, I was yeah. going to say I think I fall onto the the interesting side, like mm -hmm. the partial side of that, in the sense that like I was never the one who like loved the crossovers either. Mm. But like, or like, that's never what I sort of hunted for. Of course, I had the, you know, I understood that reference, dopamine hit Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at a TV screen meme moments, right? Like, I've had those. I'm like, neat. But like, I think what really showed me, honestly, was Doctor Strange and the 40-minute sidetrack we have with all the cameo characters in the middle of that movie <laughs> when I would have rather gotten more Doctor Strange and, and Rachel or um, mm. uh, the... I'm sorry, Christine. Rachel McAdams plays her. Yeah, um, the. I, it's not that I want the continuity or the it's, or the crossover events. It's not that. It's that I know, like, that. The faults, like, 
it's okay that there's faults there because they are at least trying to build a cohesive whole. It's not that I'm excited for that whole. It's that I realize that that lattice work is there, and I'm like, oh, okay, that okay, sure. Like <laughs> I, I like I give it a bit of a a bit of a pass and a bit of a my ability to just sort of be like, well, these scenes are fun or like whatever. And I'm finding with Phase Four with its lack of stakes um, and uh, honestly, weirdly enough, the only one that's had remote stakes. And even then was sort of minimal, but I think it was pulled together by the heart of various elements of it was No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the stakes in that, I know you, you, you chuckled to that, but like the stakes of that are literally, like it's the first time we kind of see it. So that's why I think it resonated. It's like literally reality ripping apart. Like you're fucked no matter what. Like this is the end times. Now they save it and hooray. And now we're dealing with sort of aftermath or like whatever in multiverses and yada yada. But like that movie didn't, take a character and redo them in a sense to make it fit a different plot line. Like I feel again, Jane's a completely different character in this movie. Uh, Scarlet Witch kind of a completely different character from where we left her in, in WandaVision. Like they're, they're rewriting characters that are getting on long in this that haven't retired or moved on or sort of whatever to be what they need in the moment. And that's starting to like that again, makes you lose that like, connectivity juice or excitement like there's a weird there's like a leak in the tank gentlemen <laughs> like it's it's spewing hype all over the place and i don't care to clean it up or lick it up i don't know what do you do with liquid hype <laughs> well even you know as you pointed out before when when a movie like uh top gun maverick comes along that you know kind of says this is how this should be done or or this or this is what could be the the excitement i also you know look uh i i think we've pointed to the machinery of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the uh, the um, the process by which these stories built each other. I think generally as well as an audience, we are fatigued. Like the, it's it's on the audience as well. We've just seen too many of these movies, and they're just coming out too often. It's like on us a little bit as well. To, we are just you know like tired of these things, and and you know like we can we're allowed to be tired of these things. You know, are we skipping Cinematic Leg Day? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I. I yeah, yeah, we are because because okay, the only the two things I watched while I were away was The Bear, uh the TV show The Bear which just exhilarated me to no end and good luck to you Leo Grande which 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 I was like my wife and I watched that and we were just in awe of it the in, in its entirety and that it just That movie felt, blew me away. I was and, yeah. Yeah, it just felt alive and just felt like I was being given something like it was a gift to me to watch this movie. And, and I'm, you know, like, can we, you know, you know, Sedant, as you mentioned with the assassination of GC James, um, is it, is it wrong to ask more from, from movies these days? Is it wrong to kind of want some more? We're in an inflationary period where it costs a lot of money to go to the movies. The movies are becoming a luxury spending item for a lot of people. Is it wrong to kind of say, I want these to matter? And is it wrong to demand that from the richest and most successful movie yeah. studio in the world? Yeah, um, exactly. Because, look, I mean, we, we just talked about Top Gun Maverick. We mentioned RRR. And mm-hmm. another recent action movie that I saw was this uh, Tamil language film called Vikram. Mm-hmm. And these were movies that I enjoyed immensely. They're all, you know, aesthetically and narratively very different from each other. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, you know, they have different goals. Uh, but when it comes to action and character centric storytelling, the thing they have in common 
is a sense of clarity. And I don't just mean I can see everything, you know, in a scene Mm. where you're meant to see everything, yes, but a sense of clarity of intent. Mm. You know, what each action beat is supposed to mean, you know, whether it stems from character, whether it's meant to confuse and disorient you. Um, There is a sense of uh, thoughtful craftsmanship behind the action. And I think Marvel hasn't had that for quite some time, but... Mm. I think the the scenes start to especially show in something like Love and Thunder, where do you mind if I skip forward to like a quick point about the final act? Oh no, please, oh, we're no, we're, we're there. Go wherever yeah. you'd like. Okay, where if if I were to just describe that third act to someone who's never seen the movie, you know, Thor grants his powers and some makeshift weapons to an army of kids, <laughs> and they all jump up in the air and kill shadow creatures. That mm. sounds amazing, mm. but I felt absolutely nothing during that sequence because. Every shot and every edit feels designed for minimal impact. There's nothing to latch onto. Hmm. There's no, neither is there like an intensity, nor is there, you know, there's, there's nothing tactile about it. There's no moment where you're in it, invested in it, but there's no moment where, you know, you're hanging back and looking at the whole picture in awe either. Hmm. And, you know, we can only speculate as to the reasons, but, you know, we're familiar enough with Marvel's machine to have some idea that, okay, because, you know, a lot of this is pre-visualized even before there's really a script in place and, you know, made by, you know, a bunch of overworked, underpaid mm-hmm. visual effects artists who, you know, are given certain mandates and aren't necessarily communicating with each other when they are given separate shots to work on. So what you're seeing is, you know, an individual's shot and then another individual's shot and so on and so forth. So there is no sense of coherence to it. And it's not on these visual effects artists. They are working with, you know, one of the most notoriously fickle studios when it comes to demanding visual effects. Mm. So the result is bound to be messy and there's no way you can really feel something. There's no way you can get invested in the fun. Yeah. In that particular scene, I, when I realized what was going on, I got excited. And then when I saw what was going on, I was not excited. Like, like I was like, this is clever. Oh, man. And it's boring. Mm. And, like, the word you used, Sadan, intent. I mean, that the int- the, it was scarier when they were in the cage. Like, not mm. because they got granted superpowers and they could fight now, but these shadow monsters, they look scary if you could see them at all for more than, like, a second and a half, right? Like, mm. I, I never had a sense of danger for anyone here because every close-up or longer than one second shot of a punch or a, a hitting him with a piece of twig that's, like, lit up like a Christmas tree, it's like a joke. It's shooting lasers out of a teddy bear's eyes or it's, like, whatever. And, like, jokes are on what this movie is. Like, I get it, but, like, it also does take away the entirety of uh, if if that if that scene is meant to be exhilarating we have to ask ourselves where did they think the exhilaration would come from and taika i think would say like oh it's ridiculous it's kids fighting shadow monsters that's what's funny like again i'm paraphrasing or trying to come up with it but like but it doesn't that's not enough it's not there i will even go as far as to say this i love where this movie ended not the post credit stuff just like mm. thor is now a foster father to the character, who, yeah, who is now uh, a Marvel character, the embodiment of love. Like it makes total sense. Love and thunder, and all. T- like everything ties the fuck together in a place that I am like cool. But the 
the ebb and flow, or the, as George Lucas might say, poetry, of the entirety of this film doesn't exist to get us there. Like, the reason why it comes together in the end is the literal title of the movie, and oh, how clever. But, like, mm. there's... Thor doesn't... I, I, I didn't find his journey to, like, uh, become, like the ability like to to transition to be the person who he is at the end of the movie like i get i see the beats that they tried to hit with the jane story but it didn't get me there just because i liked where we ended up doesn't mean the ride was fun like again intent like there was no intent there was just an ending and they were gonna get get there yeah i agree with that but one quick thing um have either of you seen shazam Yes. Yes. We discussed it on the show. Yeah. 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 Good. You know, fun movie has a very similar third act, but mm-hmm. you you understand what's going on visually and emotionally, and it's all you know. There's clarity of intent, clarity of action, etc., yeah. etc. Et yeah. You know, Matt. To your point, yeah. That that ending for me was like, oh, this is where the story begins. What? It's the only time the film has a real semblance of story for Thor. You know, where's mm-hmm. that movie? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is a, a problem that I've kind of talked about a lot in uh, uh, of this idea of teasing a bit of movie, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, some of these movies are. But I was like, uh, when I said I didn't, uh, one of the movies that I watched uh, while I was away, uh, again, a comfort movie, was I, I introduced my niece to Jurassic Park. And I, I, I know there is this quality about what I'm going to say, because I realized that that for younger people, the, the new Jurassic series is kind of what they're um, grown up with. And it, it, it's, it's much more acclimatized to the type of action that they're used to. But the thing, the great thing about Jurassic Park and watching Jurassic Park again, again, is kind of that clarity of intent that you're talking about, Zidane, which is that it, every action beat is also really focused on this idea of both Sam Neill and Laura Dern's wrestling with the idea of becoming parents. And every action sequence is underplaying that. You know, like there's this idea, like there's this beautiful sequence right in the middle where they're being attracted by, attacked by velociraptors. And the velociraptor falls into the cave and Laura Dern's, you know, is is in danger of being swallowed into uh, uh, swallowed into the the type of artifacts that she was digging up in the first scene. And it's just this beautiful moment in the midst of this action. It's just like points to this idea that in every moment, the director has a clear hand. And of course, it's ridiculous what I'm saying because we're talking about Steven Spielberg in one of the greatest action movies of, of all time. But it is like... You know, again, the sense of like clear purpose and clearly defined sense that I think what it is, is that when there is no sense that we will never see this character again, which is what you would get in any in any other type of movie that wasn't a Marvel or franchise film. There's a lack of sense of like, what are we going to do with this character? You know, like what what story are we going to tell with this character that makes it important for us to be here? You know, like there's no sense, you know, we're going to see Thor again at some point, you know, it's like, Thor will return. Yeah. Thor will return at some point. Um, so there's no sense of like, what we need to do something important with this character. We need to do something that necessitates that person's name being the title of the film. Um, here's what it is. And, and, uh, I know you and I can relate to this and Shir, I think you can though. I feel like it, the content creation game, not working in film and television, but just the churn, the mm. ever f- I work I, I I run a YouTube channel right like you need content and sometimes you're psyched about the content sometimes there's a script or a project that you're like fuck yes this is what I'm doing we just dropped one of those today on extra credits talking about play to earn games which is a big I fucking hate open loop mm. economies don't get me started sorry me but the the 
then, but there's other times when, oh, fuck, well, you need to air an episode. You need to have a review. You need to have a thing. You need to have an article or whatever. What is it? Like, the onus doesn't come from, oh, I have this great idea. Because it can't. You can't constantly make great, cool, creative things. Now, granted, you could run your business with multiple creatives and try to do that and get it done. But, like, that's not really what Marvel's doing. Marvel knows that everyone's going to show up to see the second Taika Waititi-directed Thor movie, so they're just going to get one out on the date that they need it out. And it's been a minute since we've gotten lucky and the, one of those has been phenomenal. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's 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 filmmaking with the content creation churn model. It's con it's it's internet content or whatever, just on a grand scale. And Ew. Isn't now, that, I'm, it, now I'm isn't, depressed. Isn't that what Guillermo del Toro talked about recently in a talk where he said that one of the worst words to describe films was content? Uh, because he said he said something along the lines of uh, content describes. Uh, it, content may not have been the word that he used for it, but he, he said it describes waste and uh, uh, perpetual products or something something along those lines and not art and humanity and a reflection of life. And, you know, well, um, the very definition of the word content, anything can be content, both physically <laughs> yeah. and metaphysically. Right. Like that, like that's the whole thing. I could everything is content. I'm, I'm holding content in my hands right now. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Hmm. I, want to, I want to draw a quick comparison on that front. Do either of you watch wrestling or have you ever watched yes, wrestling? Yes, I used to. I don't anymore, but I was, I've been on and off a quite a big fan of the WWF to E. Hmm. So you're familiar with the Hell in a Cell match. Oh, right? very much so. The, the violent, bloody you know, match in this enormous enclosure where you know, if, if two wrestlers are feuding and the feud goes on for a while, and this, was, this came up, in, like, I think the first match was like 98, their feud would inevitably end inside Hell in a Cell. There was mm -hmm. this buildup and it felt like there was a reason, you know, and it wasn't like a frequent match. It would come about, granted, it, there, there were quite a few, um, but it... The At the most very least, it'd always be in a pay-per-view. Like, yes, yeah. The most memorable ones were always, you know, feud enders, story enders. Hmm. But over the last 10 years, WWE has had a pay-per-view called Hell in a Cell where hmm. there are these, sort of, where they're sort of obligated to you know, put random people inside the cell match. And there have been very few good ones over the last decade. Um, right. And so now it's less that, oh, you know, there's a story that belongs inside this structure and more like, oh, it's June again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a similar thing that, you know, is, is, you know, happening with Marvel. And it's not like, you know, look, these things have always been made by studios and with their various projections. And, you know, no studio has ever made a movie that they didn't think wasn't going to make money. Right, right. But... Look, Marvel isn't making four movies a year because they have good stories to tell. Marvel is making four movies a year because there are four financial quarters and they have projections to hit. Mm. That's yeah. the reason for this. And this is the reason they plant their release flags. And, you know, they, they say such and such movie is coming out on this date before they have an idea, before they have a script, before they have anything really in place. And then it's just a rush to, you know, to please investors. And that's... That is where it's coming from. So it doesn't matter if there's any kind of, you know, soul or artistry involved. Do we think? Because like you said, this, it's, this has always been the way, right? However, now that Marvel Disney is so big, do we think that we're getting less accidental cinematic gold like let's go uh, <laughs> Jurassic Park isn't a good example for that I was trying to figure out something what what's a movie uh okay all right Mad Max Fury Road I was just gonna bring that up right 
Not a movie anyone was expecting to be the fucking powerhouse that it is in every sense of that word. <laughs> the, the film I will bring up that started this very podcast, which here's like, I want to talk about this. Do you want to record it? <laughs> um, the But like that was like, you know, it's an old franchise. It's like whatever. And then someone ha- uh, uh, or the original creator had the, had the idea to make something and then a movie studio, which didn't like. I guess probably value the property as much as Marvel would in its like give me give me like have to have its tendrils and everything. Uh, gave a chance. They there was something that they were the artist was passionate about and the team was passionate about and then we got something and I won't uh, accidental makes it sound like oops like but like <laughs> the intent was to make the movie's intent is always to make the money back but in that case we had the perfect sort of synergy that did that but also made something fucking badass where now. That's getting harder and harder because with the level of control and micromanagement and hitting the four quarters and like all of that stuff, we're not the the churn isn't 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 um if this was if this if you were like uh pan sifting gold in a river, like the river has kind of run dry, but you're still pan sifting because that's your job. <laughs> like and that you're getting gold flex, but they're smaller and smaller, and the rush may be over. Um yeah, yeah, weird. Well, I, I mean, I think I always wanted to point this, you know, always want to point this out, which is that the I, I think the analogy is correct. And, and you know, uh, the, the movie I actually would have picked in that sort of accidental uh, conversation would have been Guardians of the Galaxy in terms of like surprising you uh, to be a different kind of movie than we were expecting or in, in the spectrum of, of films we we're talking about. Or turn comic D-listers into A-listers like instantly. Like whatever, yeah. I mean, that movie works. Um, I I think the the just the only thing to point out here is that we do this at the we do this at the at the at the stake of of smaller films that can do interesting, you know, that have the sort of runway to do interesting things because the stakes aren't higher as yeah. demanding for for you know quadrant release days, you know, and that's why we get. That's why when, you know, like uh, not everything is going to be everything everywhere all at once. Um, but but when that does happen, you know, out of the space, we do celebrate it for being something revelatory to us. You know, like something something that opens our eyes and changes our, the way that we look at the world. Because in that case, it's new filmmakers, you know, although the Daniels had done a film before with Swiss Army Man, um, that are opening our eyes to the possibility. And the only issue I would just want to raise there is that um, for everyone that works in the Marvel sphere, you know, the work is challenging and this is no way demeaning the level of, quali- you know, the, the, the quality of work. I think what we're sort of getting at here is that with the, with the enormous financial success that these films enjoy, that there should be offshoots to that, that, uh, that provide us with the kind of nourishment that we're looking for. And you could argue that, um, for you, you know, I've had this sort of ongoing thesis in my head for a while that that the the sort of the age old one for the studio, one for me paradigm certainly applies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Applesauce, you know, bitch. Yeah, we certainly get that with um, um, John Favreau, kind of like uh, parlaying all of his Iron Man success into something like Chef, which is a passion project, or um, 
you know, Scarlett Johansson being able to go off and do a film like Under the Skin, Under Her Skin, Under Her Skin. I think that was the title. Under the Skin, amazing film uh, from Jonathan Glazer. And you could argue that what Taika got out of Thor Ragnarok um, was Jojo Rabbit, and I'm hoping uh, this uh, next film, Next Goal, please, um, the film about the. Um, the Polynesian soccer team that has uh, been sitting on the shelf, uh, you know, like hopefully those are the pieces that we can kind of, you know, get out of this at this point. Um, you know, it's just, there's just a sense that there's such a financial uh, windfall here that, that doesn't, that, that I hope goes back into the screen for us, the audience at some point. Uh, it's hard to ask for that. And, and you know, James Gray uh, recently talked about the, this idea that um, studios should, be willing to lose money on the middle to lower budget movies because they provide sustenance. And his example, which I think I quoted at you, Matt, a while ago, is that everyone remembers, uh, um, you know, you got to take the cannolis or I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. But And his argument was, but I bet you nobody remembers any lines from Aquaman. Um, and, the, you know, <laughs> uh, and his point, his point, however uh, flippant or irreverent, was that... Um, movies sustain us and they give us something and they, and we should expect them, you know, we should, we should seek out those people that are willing to take chances on them. Like whether they be a Mad Max Fury Road or whether they be a good luck uh, to Leo Grande or RRR or whatever it is, you know, like they should, they should reshape the box. I really am clinging on to this, uh, to this line that you gave us a down, which is that, why not reshape the box if you can? Now, not, everyone, people are going to try that and fail miserably. I, I mm. certainly think I am uh, uh, not capable. Uh, you know, like I will entirely fall flat on my face trying to reshape the box. But at least shaping the box was the goal. But you know? to, to Sadat's original point, too, this is the most successful film. Like they can afford to do it. <laughs> but it's it's not enough to make the money anymore. It's you have to make all the money. And if you're <laughs> going to make all the money anyway, less and less people. And I'm not talking about the individuals working hard on individual aspects, but like the the love and thunder that would glue something together. Uh, there's going to be less and less of that because you're guaranteed <laughs> the money anyway. So like, whatever, like you're good. <laughs> it's always easy for people who are uh, not in charge of the money to make those calls. <laughs> yeah. And even when it comes to, you know, again, richest studio in the world, whatever it is, uh, even if your goal is to make movies within the box, make movies. And right. I know, you know, people, people, you know, will argue about Martin Scorsese day in and day out. It's we're on like year four of this or whatever Jesus, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're not going to argue what is or isn't cinema, but, you know, at, at its core, movies are moving images, right? Because images have meaning, images have power. Um, and, you know, I, it doesn't feel like, you know, in most modern Hollywood blockbusters, the image is primary. The image feels like an afterthought, you know. Mm -hmm. And granted, yes, you need, you know, uh, a script, you know, before you shoot anything, so on and so forth. But it it doesn't feel like the image itself is as important to anything else that you know, a Marvel movie or most major Hollywood movies are doing right now. And it, it's, you know, it's less about the, it's certainly not about the artists because the artists are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, in some cases. But um, <laughs> before I go off on a tangent, um, it's, it's again, it, it, it comes down to, you know, what is the purpose of these things? You know, for, for an artist, it might be to tell a story, to express something. 
for you know someone at uh, an executive level it might be to churn out something that makes money and you know that's a tension that has you know always existed in hollywood um mm. it has coexisted mm-hmm. it many times in history it still coexists for a lot of movies mm. um but you know one is very clearly being subsumed by the other more and more now mm. yeah 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 i i, I mean is it <laughs> have we exhausted this have we exhausted the marvel cinematic universe at this point maybe I, that, are we are we willing to put it down though like no, are we i'm not <laughs> no I mean, here's here's the interesting thing yeah i stand by that whatever the next star wars movie is i'm not mm. going to go see it like <laughs> I, I, the rise of skywalker for me and that it's going to be a taika movie isn't it, it is i don't care <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. If we have to do a podcast on it, I'll show up and not see it. Like, because I need to put something down. And the way that that went for me, I was ready to put that down from from a movie perspective, right? Um, I'm not yet. For whatever reason, if it's the goodwill it's built up for me over the past 13, 12 years or whatever it's been, or my affinity for these characters since childhood, or like... Uh, you know, my inner child screaming, hoping that something is exciting uh, at my ripe old age. Like, I'm not ready to put it down. I will still show up. They have I, my mind. I'm going to turn up to every Wong Kar Wai movie for the rest of my life, <laughs> you know, whether I want, whether his quality is good or bad. I, I get it, you know? Yeah, like... Wong Kar Wai, Marvel, same thing. Yeah, same yeah, exact same thing. thing, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, yeah. I, I will say that. I'm going to end it with this because I know we're, 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 getting, we're getting long on the tooth about just getting sad. Uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on a nice thing. Uh, even though Valkyrie's story in the movie I feel like was cut short and left somewhere else, I did really enjoy the time I got to spend with that character again, even though they totally sidelined her at the end, which was kind of bullshit. And they kingled uh, her. They, yeah, yes, they did. <laughs> uh, she's over there. She's like <laughs> healing or whatever. Um, th- and also, Russell Crowe. <laughs> Russell Crowe. What a beautiful dummy i i loved his zeus so much it was we used to do a mythology show on the channel and zeus if you're familiar with with mythology is just a big horny dummy (laughs) like he's just fucking up left and right It, it, it he's he's powerful and terrible and whatever and I just, I don't know, like, that's exactly how I imagined, like, a Zeus in human form would be. And so it hit me right in the, like, yep, that's correct. And, look, the only other time I got excited was seeing, uh, he's here, he's there, he's every fucking way Roy Kent as Hercules. Though I will say, John Gabris, John Gabris yeah. <laughs> should have been fucking Hercules. Shout yeah. out to my boy John Gabris. Um, any other final thoughts? I was trying to end on positive notes, but we don't have to. Final thoughts, Thor Love and Thunder. Well, I'm absolutely going to bring the mood down. This was the breaking point for me. Now I've decided that, you know, if, if one of these doesn't look great, I'm just not going to see it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, th- this was it. Like, until now, I've been like, all right, you know, I'll, it, it's Marvel. Let me, you know. And and by the way, uh, if I can say, like, we're recording this the day the Miss Marvel uh, finale yeah. came out. I watched it I, 20 minutes before we recorded this show. I really like that show. I it's think good. it's you know, visually doing things that no other Marvel thing is doing. So if something if something like that comes along, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, uh, Thor: Love and Thunder was uh, the last station on this journey for me. I'm, you know, maybe I'll hop back on if something looks neat. But yeah, the discount it. ticket, 
(laughs) (laughs) I guess, no, no, no. If someone's like paying me to watch it and write about it, then maybe. There we go. That's how you do it. Uh, What about you, Shahir? Anything else to add? Yeah, I got nothing at this point. I'm, I'm like, well, in terms of like, you know, how much, uh, how much does a movie warrant a conversation? I think uh, we've we've done that with this movie, you know. And 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 again, I love Taika. I lo- I, I, I I love I, everyone involved in this movie. I know. I, I have, a, I have a particular. I have a particular um, affection for Taika and his work because he comes from the place that I come from. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing when someone does, just in the same way that, you know, I didn't love the Hobbit films, but watching Peter Jackson, you know, basically play with the biggest, you know, be, create the biggest franchise on the planet from, uh, you know, a couple of kilometers from where I live is just mind blowing to me. And it's, it's spectacular. And, you know, and at the same time, Jane Campion doing the same thing. Um, you know, so I have, a, I have a particular investment in seeing Taika succeed in every way possible. Um, but in this case, you know, in terms of the film, I, yeah, just wasn't there with it. And I think it has a lot to do with, with not just the, the Taikiness of it all, but the, the actual, the, the engine that produced the thing that we're watching. Um, so, you know, does it warrant more conversation than that? Right. Well, at, at least we'll, at least we'll, I mean, look, I, I'd say as much as I disliked a lot of the movie, at least we'll have the bit with like, the vampires that like circle the moon and then end up like when Morbius sucked. showed up, when Morbin time hit, I'm not gonna I, believe the Morbius thing, like the actual vampires, like when they like oh. circle the moon and then like attack. Yeah, Paul. okay, sorry, I was in trying to yes and too hard. There were yeah, the, yeah. when the vampire vampires, I'm doing the Morbin time thing because that's the thing. <laughs> I, I was trying. I look sometimes I, I definitely take the fell bit asleep too far. during this part. I felt like I fell asleep. You, you don't remember the vamp, like I know Morbius isn't in it, but you don't remember the vampires. Um. You know, hey guys. Like so it's go, been a really good called, podcast with you guys. <laughs> it's not called Olympus, it's called whatever the God City. Yeah, is. it was around that. Like they oh, ran into God, it while God they were working, while they were walking through. Um, the, oh, and uh, and you know, there's a uh, you know, my wife. You know, we we noted this. Of course, there was a beautiful Maori goddess in that scene as well. And it was like, oh, you know, again, from the sense of like coming from a place and seeing it reflected on screen, and you know, seeing some of that sort of, you know, uh, that, that sort of storytelling uh, up on screen is kind of beautiful to watch. Um, but <laughs> but you yeah. missed the undead, so whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, everybody, this has been the only podcast about the film Thor, Love and Thunder. Sadat, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your least favorite Marvel movie. <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, I will say this. We booked this way before anyone had seen this movie, and I think we were all like, fuck yeah, we get to talk about something we love, and it'll be fun, and it won't be depressing at all. So... I would like to invite you back literally anytime you want to talk about something that you saw and you are fucking pumped about because I, I, I just, it's so much fun talking with you, uh, about movies and it like, this is, this was such a downer. So Dan, you've also got a couple of short films coming out and, yes. and I also noticed that you, uh, you recently won, uh, the film critic of the year at the LA press circle. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The LA Press Club uh, Award for Best Film Criticism. Yeah, thanks so much for, for noticing that. Um, as for my short film that's supposed to be coming out, uh, it's been in the can for uh, a couple of years now. And oh, wow. Yeah. Derailed those plans a bit. Um, but it is, still, it is still a work in progress. 
Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when it's finally done, you'll know. <laughs> I, I had a similar experience, which is that I had a project that started pre-COVID and I kind of finished it, but now I have no idea what I'm going to do with it kind of thing. And, and yeah, I, I know exactly that sort of like that sense that a project which had all the urgency in the world can feel like uh, a thing that you're just not too sure what to do with anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, Sadat, where can folks find the rest of your uh, good works all over the places? Sure. I uh, share everything I write to my Twitter, which is at Siddhanta Dlaka. That's S-I-D-D-H-A-N-T-A-D-L-A-K-H-A. Excellent. Uh, Shahir, when you are not getting flicked too hard, where can folks find you? Oh, my God. That, that, that scene definitely woke me up, by the way. Just wanted to put that out there. You can find me at my website uh, being uh, flicked uh, at com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are proudly proclaiming that it is Morbin time, where can people find you? You can find me and Sadant inserting random facts about this movie into this podcast, which was very, very fun. Thank you so much for playing along with that, Sadant. I, I have no idea if half the things you talk, guys are talking about. I know, about and that's what made way. it special. I uh, didn't actually direct it, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surprise! Uh, you can find my stuff over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z-E on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over in Extra Credits. We are in the middle of our Ethiopian Empire series over on our History Channel, and we just released a thing on uh, Play to Earn, or as I have lovingly named it, Pay to Earn Games. Um, it is uh, it's a nightmare scenario in the gaming industry, and it was time we talked about it. Next week, there'll be a movie. I don't know what. What are you excited to see? Yeah. Is there anything coming out that you're pumped about? Ooh, I'm going to be watching Nope next week, the new George Oh, Peele. yeah. The jo- is that George next Peele week? Film. I believe it is, yeah. <sighs> okay. I, 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 love the, I love Jordan Peele. I loved the first trailer. I know Shahir doesn't watch trailers. Mm. I hated the like second it. trailer. Oh. Are we, still, are, we, are we like continuing this conversation? Because I, I, sure. do have, yeah. I didn't know what the movie was really about until that second trailer. Mm-hmm. And even though it revealed more of... You know the plot or the mechanics of it. Don't worry, don't worry. I'm yeah, not going to tell you. Say it. Don't worry, don't worry. I, I, it gave me more of a sense of what the first trailer was kind of hinting at with its whole thing about you know the the early images yeah. in cinema, and it gave me a sense of okay, what what is the place of cinema and moving images in this story? So yeah. I'm really interested to see how they you know, approach that. I just wish I was surprised. I, I wish I didn't watch it. But I, 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 yes, that is a psyched moment. Anyway, I will stop talking about it so she here doesn't have to cover his ears anymore. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, maybe we'll talk about that next week. But until then, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Again, email us in with your thoughts about Love, Thunder, or literally anything at uh, OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. And you can always tweet at us at OnlyMoviePod on Twitter. Until next time that we grace your ear holes, have a wonderful week, everybody. Bye. Thanks, everyone. I love that I wave like they can see us. (laughs) They can't see us.